Hello, this is Dave Gans, Senior Fellow of Medical Group Management Association. I'm here today with Jim Trounson. Jim uh, is a person I've known from M- at MGMA for a long time. We'll talk about that shortly. But he is the founder of an organization called MedMan in Boise, Idaho. And he managed MedMan for well over 30 years and has recently divested MedMan and he's reinventing himself as Jim Trounson 3.0. So, Jim, we're going to talk about a number of things today. So let's first discuss back when we first knew each other. <laughs> yeah, we go way back, don't we, Dave? Yes. Uh, in fact, Jim and I, we both have a background of uh, being in the Medical Service Corps, United States Army. And I came on active duty in the Army in June 1969 and went through the Army Basic uh, Officer Course in Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Jim, when, when did you start? <laughs> Well, uh, right after I graduated from uh, college, uh, unlike a lot of folks, when I uh, was thinking about uh, finally graduating, I knew what I would be doing (laughs) because I had been in ROTC. And so I I graduated in 1969, went right uh, into the Army, and my time in the Army was just amazing to be able to get a lot of responsibilities. I remember showing up in Germany. And I was a company commander of 365 guys as a, uh, as a 22-year-old. So you really grow up fast. And I'm so grateful for my time in the service. After three years in Germany, I uh, went to Vietnam for my, uh, my final year of a uh, four-year obligation to pay back an ROTC scholarship. So, in fact, uh, Jim, you know, I was in Vietnam at the same time, we figure. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting, our paths, didn't. we didn't know each other then, but we figure our paths had crossed. Yeah, I think we might have seen each other once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very interesting We that through MGMA, we, we reconnected. And I've known and worked with Jim for, a, well, I said well over 30 years as a practice administrator. You left the Army. Uh, I know you were one of the youngest hospital administrators in the nation when you were 25 years old. Uh, tell me about that, and then we'll talk about your found, moving in from the hospital side to being part of a group practice. When I was in Vietnam, I uh, found myself missing Idaho, my, my hometown, my home state, uh, more than I thought I would. And so I started uh, writing letters to see if there was a, a job I could step into. And I got a job as a hospital CEO, as a young guy, uh, to start getting some hospital experience. One of the things when I was there that I noticed was these hospital management companies, uh, like uh, Corum, Brim at the time, HCA. And I thought, that's kind of an interesting idea. I was an independent administrator running an independent hospital, but a bit envious, frankly, of their capital, their systems, their consultants, uh, their buying groups. And so I kept that in mind and was later recruited uh, by the University of Washington to uh, move to Boise, our capital city, and help to start the family medicine residency program there as family medicine became a specialty. There was residency programs for those that aspired to uh, to be in, in family medicine. And that was another wonderful break for me to uh, get exposure into ambulatory care. 
And I thought, you know, this is where the world ought to go, uh, where uh, it's less expensive, less bureaucratic, less political. And uh, I, I want to be in uh, outpatient care. One of the things that I smile about now is I went to an MGMA meeting in Portland. And keep in mind, this is in the 70s. And so many of the practices are small, literally mom and pop sort of operations. Family business. It, they were. And I looked around the room and I thought, I think this industry is going to consolidate. I think it's going to get more complicated, uh, computer confusion. And I don't think that a receptionist who had outlived all the other receptionists and became the building office manager of a small office, then that consolidated with another office and she was the senior person, so now she's the manager, and really struggling. It had grown up because of her, because of Nancy's competencies, but I thought it's going to take more for these clinics to to prosper. And so I went back to my hospital days and thought about these hospital management companies and thought, I know now how lonesome it is to be a clinic manager and maybe what they had was an idea that I could apply to a different aspect of healthcare. And so why don't I start a medical group management company uh, that now are called physician practice management companies, the PPMCs. And so this was in 1977, and it was very difficult uh, to do this for the first time because there was no prototype, there was no template. and I struggled with, how, well, how do I charge for this? And how do we supervise a manager that we would place into a, a practice? How do you communicate with them? And so made all kinds of mistakes back then, but started keeping clients. <laughs> and uh, they liked the idea that it was a company, not an individual, that was looking out for them. You know, individuals have frailties that we all have. Uh, we die. We uh, we leave. We move back to some place where our parents are aging. And when that happens, there's so much institutional memory that leaves in that person's head that it's a, a very big problem for the practice. Teams don't have excuses. Uh, we've got the institutional memory of the place. And if somebody leaves the whole thing doesn't fall apart. And so this started catching on. And it's it's been a great ride to come up with the things that hospital management companies do and apply that to ambulatory settings. So when you were managing MedMan, that you provided a complete turnkey executive suite, I presume. You know, you were providing marketing, you were providing assisting with understanding how the practice would bill for its services, and you would do the strategic planning with the doctors. Right. And so it's kind of hard to explain what we did. What I, The way I would try to uh, describe that is we would do everything but the medicine. Mm-hmm. So a one-stop shop, which uh, doctors were very happy to outsource that. They certainly could do that. By definition, physicians are smart, but they just don't have time. We could uh, could do that better than, than they could, and we could do it better than more of a siloed mm-hmm. a- approach. And so, again, a team uh, is well-rounded with the different capacities for 
legal, accounting, planning, etc. And so our idea was not to be consultants, uh, but to be true partners uh, and to be around forever and ever. Yeah. And that's basically the way that it's worked right. out. So you founded Bedman in... Uh, 1977. 1977, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Medman has succeeded for 20 years, 30 years. Sorry, 40 Four, years. <laughs> I got to count those down. 42. 42 years. Uh-huh. And then I, last summer, you started looking at your own, per, you know, your own retirement and your, your own exit plan. So mm-hmm. describe uh, what you did with your employees because you have, an, I've had a chance to meet your staff. You have an excellent staff. Mm-hmm. So uh, talk about what has happened to Bedman today. Well, uh, wonderful things. And so I'm 71 years old. And uh, had to start thinking about Medman as a sustainable company because I, I never put it together with the idea that I'd flip it or shut it down uh, and truly think that America is better off if Medman's in it. And so we've had uh, discussions going back years about how to do that. And uh, early on, I started selling uh, shares uh, in Medman to our employees. And then it led to uh, some of our managers buying the entire company a a few months ago. And they're young go-getters, and they've got ideas. They're going to take it places that I, as a solo entrepreneur, couldn't. And so I'm uh, uh, off on the side rooting for them (laughs) and loving the kind of things that they're doing. Good. Well, okay, that was where, where you came to now. Let's, I want to get your insights because you've had a wealth of opportunity to observe private practice, hospital systems. So let's talk about what is happening in healthcare today for medical groups and especially for those smaller independent practices. They're under a, a substantial amount of pressure because costs are going up, payments are relatively static. What advice can you give to a small practice on how to remain independent? Well, good good question, uh, Dave. And I've spent a lot of uh, my career trying to get my mind around that. And I, at Medman, we uh, d- divide the world up into hogs and dogs, hospital-owned groups, uh, HOGs, and doctor-owned groups, uh, DOGs. And we, we have more dogs than hogs, even though we do work with a lot of he- healthcare systems. But that's really my, my, my first love, is the uh, entrepreneurial physician that just thinks there's a, a better way to serve the community and wants the latitude to do that. And I certainly am very appreciative, as a former hospital CEO, of the inherent problems of, of recruiting doctors into especially mm-hmm. rural areas. And so I'm, I'm not opposed to integrations uh, at all. I think there's a, a place for that. But I think we also need to have uh, options for our, our communities because not all patients are going to want to be in a, a bigger system. And so I certainly have seen my career as uh, partially making sure that there are those options in in communities. But back to your question about how to step up to the challenges, I see a lot of leverage happening when there is some collusion amongst independent doctors. 
For example, in Idaho, we have ID, ID. Uh, it stands for Independent Doctors of Idaho. Mm-hmm. And I'm very involved in the Association of Independent Doctors. And they are doing wonderful things to help doctors not have to reinvent the wheel with some standard templates. And then, of course, I have the bias towards MSOs, which mm-hmm. uh, me- uh, medical management or medman uh, is. And so there's ways to get some services from other entities, uh, your specialty societies, for, uh, for example. I think there's some evidence of some normalization in this consolidation integration mm-hmm. kick. And especially in, with the current administration in Washington, and I was back there doing some lobbying and was very, I think, impressed by a lot of the attitudes is let's see if there's innovations and somewhat capitalistic approaches mm-hmm. to how we can take care of these these populations. So I see a lot of encouragement there, both at uh, HHS and uh, CMS, uh, with some of the uh, initiatives they're doing, especially for primary care, and to eliminate some of the bureaucratic burden uh, of, of that. And I think it's going to come down to maybe a bit of a, of a race to see who can reduce costs. Uh, because that's the part of the triple aim Mm -hmm. that hasn't worked out with consolidations. Uh, They can certainly do wonderful things with financing and with working on uh, population health, but they're not cutting the costs. I think, let's talk about that, because I think it's a critical element. Mm-hmm. that what is the most the major issue in the federal government is that the federal government has a limited amount of dollars that they can that they can pay. Healthcare is the largest component of the federal budget. Mm-hmm. Also from a business perspective, businesses are spending more on healthcare than they are on almost any other aspect of their business because healthcare costs of their employees are so high. So businesses want the lower costs. As a doctor's practice as an office you have to provide a better product, meaning good outcomes, at the lowest possible cost. And at the same time, balance charges that you have and the payments you receive so you can stay in business. So how, can, how do you do that? <laughs> I think by doing a better job of, of waving our flag about mm-hmm. we're the low-cost, high-quality provider mm-hmm. out there. And a source quality is a hard thing to um, make an argument about, but you, but cost is very quantifiable. And so through local CINs, for example, physician-driven organizations, I see some that are doing a very good job and are making a compelling argument to the, the payers mm-hmm. is that let, let's not be so hospital-centric that that's where all the benefits uh, go. And so I think... The government's going to take away some of those maybe unfair competitive advantages, such as uh, facility fees, yeah. uh, maybe the, the the drug discounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think there's some things that are coming out of Washington that are going to really change this playing field. Right. And hospitals are going to look at ways, well, could we have a friendship with a doctor but not having her mm-hmm. on our payroll? Yeah. 
Let's see, a a private practice has an immediate advantage over a hospital for ambulatory care because a private practice bills at the professional fee schedule level, whereas a health system bills two separate bills, one a facility fee and a second uh, a reduced physician fee schedule amount. I think that's an area that many private physicians don't leverage, that they don't necessarily inform their patients that by coming to see them, their employer will pay less, and the patient may have a lower copay, you know, mm-hmm. you know, than if they went to a health system where they had to pay a portion of the facility fee as well. Mm-hmm. So here's a natural advantage to show you are a low-cost provider. Mm-hmm. Well, in in, in my, uh, my my new uh, life uh, post MedMan, I am finding lots of innovations out there that apply to a small independent practice, I think technology is going to be actually not the enemy here, but a, a force multiplier to help smaller practices capitalize upon the personalized care yeah. that it's tough for a big system to compete with. Yeah. In fact, I, I agree completely. I think technology used by a small practice builds on the patient-doctor relationship and also can potentially lower cost for the practice. Well, I think we'll, we'll see that. And so I think there might be a renaissance of independent practices, the dogs, uh, as, as we call them. <laughs> so stick it out. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure there's, there's going to be some better times for these entrepreneurial doctors who want to hold on to, I think, a very right. good model that is good for Americans. Also, I think there's another advantage to the small practice or the independent practice is decision making. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a physician owned organization, who are the decision makers? The doctors. Mm -hmm. If you're part of a health system, who are your decision makers? It's it's an anonymous board of directors oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So when you are a physician owned organization, if it's good medicine and it's good for the organization, you can make decisions. Yeah. Well, Dave, you'll remember from our Army days that any medical facility was commanded by a physician. That's correct. And it worked pretty darn well. Uh, And so I kept that with me. Um, The professional bias that things work better when doctors are in charge. And that's not what the suits want to hear or the uh, Wall Street investors but when a doctor is making decisions about health care, the patient always comes out first. And when you get us managers doing that, what you get instead is efficiency. And I think the patient care ought to trump yeah. efficiency any day. Yeah. In fact, let me reinforce that. I think that is an excellent comment because things do work better when doctors in charge because the doctor will, fo- will focus on the needs of the patient first. Mm-hmm. And I think that is sometimes, sometimes physicians forget it. I know oftentimes administrators neglect to focus on the patient. They're more concerned on the immediate, not necessarily what is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very good lesson. And, and that's an area I think that is oftentimes not understood and not the basis for, for making, a, making a firm decision. Mm-hmm. I give this talk uh, entitled "Doctors Are from Venus, Managers Are from Mars." You know, we've gone into our different careers because our brains think c- kind of differently, and so if we can start thinking more in the middle ground, we're going to get along 
with doctors a lot better and because we have to to do well in medical group group management and i think it comes down to basically where you put the apostrophe think of this we're all in this business for the patient's benefit and the doctor puts the apostrophe before the s because he's thinking about an individual patient we put the apostrophe after the S because we're thinking of groups of patients, of populations, and we ought to think more like doctors. Um, my, my new company is very focused on what difference is this going to make to an individual patient? And I think that is the objectives we ought to all hold ourselves to because it could get very confusing and a bit amorphous when we're talking about heal in the world, mm-hmm. well, what difference is this? Is what we're about to do going to make to an individual patient? I think excellent idea because if you do well with the patient, you'll do good as an organization. Funny how that works. Funny how that works. <laughs> it, Jim, it, it's a fair world. Yeah, I think so. Jim, I think well, with that idea, I want to close. Any last comments that you'd like to make to our MGMA audience? Just to thank you and encourage you for being in healthcare. We are so fortunate to, to do this. And something that I remind myself about going back to the in, individual patient is aren't we fortunate because healthcare is not a zero sum game? If any person in the world, I don't care who it is, gets healthier, I'm better off for it. You're better off for it. The world is better off for it. And for that person to get healthier doesn't mean that somebody else gets less healthy. So celebrate this gift we've been given of being able to work in an industry that does good work. Very good comments. Jim, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity. 